Great stuff. I just want to, I just want to do something before I, I speak. I want to just pray into something. And just that you can stand in agreement. If my stomach would stop rumbling like that. Apologies. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you know, we gather here and we do this thing twice a year. And the heart is that the city of who carry the prophetic gather to these places. And, but I know there are many people that sit with the gift of the prophetic on them that are either disillusioned or sitting in disappointment and sitting in a, a place of isolation and they feel totally disconnected. I want to call those people home. We've been focusing on the prodigals over the last little while and calling home the prodigals and calling home those that are carrying gifting, those are carrying things. But there's a song this woman, Lauren Daigle, wrote that, and the line is beautiful, like calling out the prodigals and how they've allowed the whispers of the enemy just to lead them on roads and paths, that kind of stuff. And we sing to those dry bones, those dry hearts, and we call them forth as this army that are arising that God is using in this day. So I just want you to agree with me as we pray and we call those people home because this room in time to come needs to be full. Because there are many prophetic people in the city. And we've got to break something over this city about, uh, you do your thing and we'll do our thing. And we've got to unite our voices and we've got to come together in one accord with everyone praising the one king and declaring who he is over the city. Because then the world will start taking notice when we speak with one voice and say things like, well, this and this is going to happen. And if we don't set that in order, this is what God will do. Bam, and it happens. They go, who are you people? Something happening here. And we've got to trust God for that as we declare things. I just want you to agree with me as I pray. Father, I want to thank you that there are many, many souls that are serving and living you and serving you in this city. Father, I want to pray that as we come into agreement now, we speak into the wind and we say, Holy Spirit, as you blow forth your wind across this city, we want to speak that it will touch the hearts and the souls of those hearts that know you've got a calling on their life, know they carry this gifting for your voice to be uttered into the heavenlies and across this city, Father. We want to call them as prodigals and say we call them home to you. We call them to a place where they'll find safety. We call them to a place where they'll find a, a, a trust being built in their hearts again as you restore them, as you restore them to the place of that you have got for them, that they would start living according to their scroll that's written out to them. Start living according to the mandate and assignment that has been called upon their lives to bring the change into the city and for this nation and the nations of this world. We ask of you that in agreement we stand together and we ask of you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And I think it's, you know, for me to be standing here, it's, I mean, it's an honor to be standing here and, and talking to the company of prophets. And I know a lot of you here, some of you I don't know. But as a pastor of this local church, I want to honor the prophetic. I want to say, some of you maybe don't know me, but prophets have been often been misunderstood and put in the box. Just do that. Just tell us what God says, and we'll just keep you there nice and neatly. And you tell us, and when it suits us, we'll work with you. And I, and I, I think God's breaking that paradigm. And that's my belief that even calling on pastors and other leaders in the city, start recognizing what God is doing. Take your own little empire and your own little ministry and put it aside and embrace those voices because the church is built upon the apostle and the prophet, not the teacher, not the pastor. Not the evangelist. And I know many of us know that, and maybe I was you know, hurt in that kind of context, but as a pastor here today that leads a local church, I want to acknowledge you and acknowledge what you're doing and acknowledge what you, some might feel, my voice is not being heard. That doesn't matter. 
Your voice is not being heard by people. God hears your voice. That story of those, that need to saying of those ladies walking their dogs, you are being effective. Just do what God calls you to do. Don't look for the limelight. Don't look for your platform on social media. That's the wrong place to find it. Let God establish your platform and He will build you up. And I want to just say to you, know, you that gather here, you are the voice piece to tell others about these gatherings. I I'm not a firm believer on put it on social media, email as many as you can and just hope and hope and hope, shotgun. Put it out there and hope people come. That we are so beyond that. People don't listen to that. They see so many events and stuff happening on social media. We are saturated. We are like done with too much. It's your voice saying, you know what? There's this rising of prophetic voice in the city. I think you need to come and stand with us and join. It's your voices that will call others in. And it's the good old sales pitch mouth to mouth. Sales is the best form of whatever marketing, advertising you're going to use. It's your heart being picked up by other people to say, I want to stand together with us. I, I know I do that with many pastors. There are not many of them here. I try over and over again to invite and to say, come and stand with us and united. We've got a long road to go. But I'll never give up. Because God's called us to be these people that stand together and will keep working and believing for that. So, interestingly, funny enough, what I wanted to talk about here this morning um, is a lot following on what Anita was saying. And it's so exciting that when we actually do things like this, God shows us we didn't organize last week. What you're saying, mm, it'll be good if I follow on. We've done that for years here. The preach is often what has happened and said in the worship happens over and over again. Because there's one spirit. <laughs> and he just organizes it all. And the thing that I wanted to kind of focus on a bit this morning was your mandate and assignment that God has given you. Okay? That wasn't my stomach. That was something else. The mandate and vision that God has placed upon your life, which essentially in another language is what's on your scroll. What's been written about you? Are you writing your own book? Are you just wanting to do what you feel would be right? Or are you living according to what God has said and written before you were even formed in your mother's womb? Because there's a purpose for your positioning here on earth to extend His kingdom. Yes. There's purpose for that. And, uh, and part of the, the thing today is touching on a conversation of what it is before the throne of God. And uh, this was a teaching that we received last September... Uh, from a man called Dr. Walter Penzorn, which I tell you what, if, you've, if you're trying to find him online, you won't find him online. Yeah, but uh, we're talking about trying to get this guy to come to Cape Town at some stage. I tell you, he's a, he's a gifted apostolic preacher, teacher. Com yeah, they, yeah, it's Company Prophet websites. If you search him on there, you'll find these talks from September. But I want to touch on what he spoke about of this place that we're invited be, to be before the throne of God. But I want to, I want to build it up in a... In a different kind of way. Honestly, this, this talk could be three sessions. Very easily. So we're going to go fast. I might have to just move through some things there and just kind of skip over it and work on because I want to get the essence of what God is actually saying to us. So it's going to be a long introduction and we're going to build on what God has been saying. I know many of you have heard this before, but I think it's essential for us to understand the times and the season we're in of knowing our assignment and our mandate that God has given us and how we walk forward from this point. And like I said last night when I prayed, and I ask you the question here, yeah, and, and, and if you answer me and say, and for you to answer me, are all things possible with God? I ask this to our congregation on Sunday. Everyone put their hands up and say, yes, of course, all things are possible with God. And then the answer is, but He's working through you and me. Yeah. And then there's this, oh no. <laughs> I can't do that. That's impossible for me. But, but it's not for you. Okay, it's in Him. It's through Him. 
You see, so there's a rising of faith in our hearts. Not faith It's the, in God, it's the faith of God that He's for us and with us in every single way. And you know those prayers where he, he prays in John that anything you ask in my name and I'll do it. You know, all of us have asked many things and they've never happened. So is that, that's not, that, it's the truth. All things we ask in His name, and it's just us believing what God's saying to us and walking according to His will for your life and not your plan. Because then when you walk in His will and you walk in His plan for your life, there's favor, there's blessing, there's going to be the desert times, there's going to be trials, but you walk through it with courage because you know that God's got you on the right track to lead these things. And I, I want us to stir us again in that point of believing that Jesus left us with a mandate to do the greater works. Yes. To do the greater works. And, uh, and, and, and that's part of our responsibility as the church coming together as one voice into doing this. And, you know, part of my experience, I, you know, I've got to relate it to my own life because I can't share, you know, what I don't, haven't experienced. What I've experienced in relating to the presence of God and understanding God's call upon my life and be able to stand. I'm going to relate it to Moses' story of how he got to that point in, in Exodus 33 where he spoke face to face with God. Or the process of getting to that point, and he asks him, show me your glory. And I want to build up to that point and what actually happened in Moses' life, because there's many things that happen in our lives that are very similar. And, I, and I've, for those who know me, I've, met, I've said this a lot over the last little while, but I remember the first moment I experienced the presence of God was when I was a six-year-old in Port Elizabeth, and a lady by the name of Bertha Page. I don't know if you're from P. have you ever heard of a lady called Bertha Page? No, I, I had a dream about her about a year ago, and I like... I was trying to get in touch with her. She's probably in her 60s now. I was a young little boy, but she used to sing in church. And when she sang, I felt something. She sang that song. I just remember that, Isn't He Beautiful? Isn't He Beautiful? And I remember, I still get all Holy Spirit goose fleshy when I say these things. Sure. Because she, she, she did something when she sang, I felt the presence of God as a six-year-old. Now, did I understand what I felt? No. Did I know what that was? No, but I felt something. And I've realized as my life's gone by, all the moments I've had with God and encountered Him have shaped everything that I am today. Yeah. So some were longer seasons of waiting, some were seasons just of faithfulness, some were seasons of just doing what God said and be faithful in what that is, but it was never getting ahead of what God was saying at that time. And the encounters that I've had have shaped everything. And I've worked it out that there are seven main encounters I've had with God in my whole life. But they've shaped everything, everything that I am. And that's, that's walking in according to the scroll that God has written for me. If you read through Abraham, you read Moses' story, you read Joseph's story, you read Daniel's story, you read David's story. At the right time, God spoke. Just when they needed to hear the confirmation from the voice of God, Abraham's is priceless. Where he's thinking this and God speaks. He's, no, 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 I've said this. Go there. Affirming the promise, affirming the mandate, affirming the assignment on your life to walk according to what God has called you to do. And as prophetic people, not just prophets, a prophetic people, an apostolic people that we are, God is asking us to walk according to what He's saying in His time. Sometimes it doesn't make sense. Sometimes there's long waiting. Like Pete Gregg says, it's weird how the suddenlies of God take a long time to happen. Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. Bam. Wow. And then people view the suddenly very differently. I had this context with a woman. Her son was moving to Vietnam to teach English. And I saw her in the shops. And she, her context was, they've rushed it. I was like, no, no, they've been waiting a long time and God's organizers and it happened quickly because he does his plan. Yeah. You see, some people can view differently how God works and does stuff. And I want to, I want to understand from, from, Manda, from Moses' position that where you go right back to the beginning of Exodus, 
3, and, now you, and, and you understand Moses' story firstly. So he is firstly born in Egypt okay, at a time when the Pharaoh was wanting to ensure that no more Israelite males are born because they're taking over. And he arranged with the midwives that the, that, the, that, the, that the children must be killed as they're born. And the midwives' response in fear didn't do it, but they said these Israelites' women are amazing. They just give birth so quickly, and before we get there, it's all happened. And they in fear didn't do it, but then he instituted that every newborn male must be killed. And Moses was protected, and his mom, you know the story, over and over again, we've heard this as kids, put him in the bulrushes, put him in a basket, and Pharaoh's daughter collected him and picked him up. Now, at that point, you realize God had a call in his life and protected him and saved him from what the system around him was creating because he had a call in his life to be the one that would help Israel in their exodus. Okay? And knowing, understanding his whole, his whole story, but there's a, and there's a point here when we look and we build it right up to Exodus 33 where we ask that question. He says, it says that he says, talks face to face to God and he says, show me your glory. That just, that just didn't happen in a moment. That was a build-up to a point of, God, I want to see more of you. Because all that you've done, you've proved yourself faithful and true. I want to desire more. But there was a place that he learned that from being that and stuff. And, you know, the thing about Moses is that he was raised in Pharaoh's house. Now, as the church, we've been very scared to be raised outside the church. All the nurturing happens in this environment. But he was raised outside of the people that God had called him to. Now, think about that. Like, Daniel was the same. Like, we're so scared we must have our own Christian little thing here, and then we must tell everybody what they must do. No, go and infiltrate that system. Yeah. And go and sit in that environment and wait for God's timing for you to be the voice piece that will bring the change. Yeah. Everyone, you read all through the Bible, they, the, 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 they weren't separated. They were in the midst of the opposition of the day. Jesus did exactly the same. He came into an environment that was opposed to what he would bring. He was the minority. But he brought something in that shifted and, and he obviously came to the Jews. And there was, it wasn't a system to embrace it. We, we need to understand that as the church. We're not a separate little thing that does stuff. Go to your workplace. Go into the education. Go into government. Go into all those environments and be the voice piece for Christ. And at the right time, if there's a call in the measure, gifting on your life, to be that voice piece, he'll use you to bring the change of what he's got planned according to your life. Okay, and at the right time, he will use you. Now, we know the story when he killed the Egyptian, the two Israelites were fighting, and he didn't enjoy this. I always understand at what point did, I wonder, at, at what point did Moses realize he was an Israelite? <laughs> at what point did Jesus realize he was the Son of God? At what point does that happen? There is a moment in your life we start to realize this is it. You know, and then he, he sees the affliction on his own people. Maybe his mother at some stage said, Look, and told him the story. You know, the stories of adoption and children. There's always some point the mother's going to tell them the truth. Yeah. And say, so this is what actually happened. We saved you. We rescued you. And there's a point that it comes. Like, this is what happened. And this is God's plan for you. And he's got you. And, and he saw the affliction on the Israelites. And it burdened him. Because for years he had carried that. And I think one day he saw this happen. He said, and his built up, pent up frustration actually just took out on this one Egyptian. And he killed him. It's amazing how God's using all the murderers and the adulterers in the Bible to do his thing. Not condoning you, don't do that now against your mother-in-law or something, you know. But uh, after that, then two Israelites were squabbling, and they said, oh, well, you're going to do the same to us now that you do. And he realized, whoa, I've been seen, and he fled. And he ran into the desert. 
and time passed by. I remember those plays. You'd have a sign over that side with time and a sign over that side with by. And the two would, time passed by. <laughs> yes, yeah. the, the years rolled by. Slow motion. But, but there was a purpose to him. So now, it's, it's, I don't know the timing of how things work, but probably around about 40 years, I say, of him being around. He goes to Desh Jethro's house, marries a woman. He's involved in his family. And his life carries on in another environment. I don't think fully see yet knowing a mandate from God. Okay, he's just doing what he had to do. He always realizes God will always, wherever you're at, Work it to around a way, and at a point he'll speak to you, and that point will be whether you'll be obedient to what he says. And he's wandering in the desert, looking after Jethro's sheep and stuff, and he sees this bush burning. And I've heard many guys speak around this and say that that was an often occurrence. These bushes would just self-combust because it was so hot, and they would just burn in the bush. But there was this moment for Moses where he saw this bush, but it wasn't being consumed. And he was intrigued by it. It caught his attention. And I think that, that for us is so key about how we miss these little moments that look like the normal thing. Oh, I've seen, that's why I said that thing last night. Oh, I've seen this before. I've seen this before. But there was something different. You've got to recognize there's something different that was happening. That bush was not being consumed. And on that, him being intrigued by what was going on with this bush, he went and stood. Then God started to speak to him. And God spoke from the bush saying, this is who I am. And I think it's those little moments where we get captured by what God is doing and we get caught up in that moment and God speaks to us. And it's, this is all about being open and ready and available for God to speak and to lead us as He guides us. Now interestingly, in that moment of Him fleeing and for 40 years, He was, he was around about 80 now, okay, in this moment, in that moment of speaking to the bush, God started to give him his mandate and his assignment. Let's maybe read that first little bit there. Exodus 3. And then Moses said, verse 3, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, saying, Moses, Moses. Often when there's two words of the name repeated, God's trying to get your attention. The same thing with Jesus, Martha, Martha. Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place in which you stand is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And then they started having this conversation and speaking about it. And in that moment... God gave Moses his assignment, gave him his mandate. I want you to go back to your people and set them free. Now, what happened here also is that he, he didn't get the full assignment. He only told him about the first three plagues. This is where now he says, take your staff, throw it on the ground. It turns to a snake. He runs. I would also run. And he says, pick it up. I probably wouldn't pick it up. <laughs> then he puts his hand in his, in his top and he comes out as leprous, puts it back in. And he, he speaks about the blood on the, the, the water will turn to blood. And he gives him an indication of like, I'm going to go with you. You know, asks, who do I say sent me? And he says, say that I am sent you. <laughs> it's beautiful that you realize now, this is when Jesus said those words, I am. It offended everybody because they knew this moment with Moses. God was revealing himself. 
the great Yahweh. And then, and then he doubted. And he's like, well, no, it can't be me. You would never want to use, I, I, I'm a slow of speech, and I, I, could never, I could never be that person to be used by God. How often have we doubted when God has said to us, I want you to do this. This is what I'm giving you to go and do. I do that too. I do that. For me to understand this whole thing of walking in the authority that God's given me has been a journey. And you don't grab it, you see. It's a, it's a journey you go on and God builds into your heart and He gives you this confidence in Him to do the things He's called you to do. And then God doesn't nullify you when you doubt. He said, okay, cool, we'll call on Aaron. Your brother will be your voice piece. You speak to your brother, I'll speak to you, you your brother speaks to else. And then they went back to the Israelites, and I love this part where he says, now going back to, to Egypt, to where the Israelites are, and then the Lord says to Aaron, your brother's in the wilderness on his way. He's like, I love those moments. Like when Peter was up on the, sleeping on the roof, and says, oh, there's two guys downstairs, you need to go and talk to them. It's, it's that acute, hey? Are we, are we that open? As God speaks, there's a man outside who wants to talk to you. Okay, right, yes, Lord. We're going to do it. There was a New Testament and Old Testament story there, so it still happens today. Okay, it wasn't that it happened then. Oh, well, it didn't happen again. And he went and met his brother in the wilderness, and then the journey started. And what they went to do, they went to speak to the elders of the people. And they went to communicate with the elders. Did they go and try and convince them of what God was saying? No. It says they, they believed on their report as the Lord had visited Israel and seen their affliction and they bowed their heads in worship. Now, Pharaoh's been, got more harsh with the people. He's taken the straw away and said, you will make the same amount of bricks and you will, you know, and, and then again he says, that double phrase says, you are idle, you are idle. That's the world's tone to us. You see, you people are lazy. You've got nothing to achieve. You will work harder. You'll push harder to try and achieve more and more and more. And it drove the people down and down. Think of how many people will leave for work on a Monday morning from home like this. Heavily burdened, afflicted, because they're caught in the system. They're not seeing the light. That's what's happening to the Israelites. They were being burdened by the system of the day. But yet God was raising men up to set them free and to walk them into a place. And yes, did Moses receive much opposition? It says that at one point, he's, um, the, the guys are, the elders or one of the guys are complained to Pharaoh. So Pharaoh, how can you, we can't produce all these bricks if you take the straw away. And he's like, you will, you will, you will. And it says, as they walked out, Moses and Aaron were standing outside. And they say, it's you guys. <laughs> you guys have caused this trouble. <laughs> How many of you had that? I've had that happen to me. It's you that caused all the trouble here. <laughs> oh, I was just doing what God told me to do. <laughs> I'm just walking in obedience. People don't see what you see. Yeah. When it's your mandate and what is placed on your heart and your life, people don't see what you see. But you've got to walk in the confidence and the hope what God has placed inside of you to walk with what he's saying in faith. And a boldness to be these things. And then, you know, it's not to receive and recline or receive and resign, you know. Because I think many times God spoke to you and you went, oh, no, I'll just sit back on that one and wait for you to do it. He's not going to do it. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you. And then will you receive and resign and say, I'm not doing it. That's the prodigals. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to deal with the opposition I'm going to face because of the things I believe God's saying. See, when it's done in love and all those processes, the time walks out and you find the fulfillment of what God is saying. And there's a mandate for momentum and an assignment for the ambassadorship of God. So at that point now, 
Moses just been obedient, gone back to, to, to Egypt. Now, now look, look at all the things that happen and take place before Exodus 33. We have all the plagues. The first nine plagues. Then we have the Passover. That happens. Key moment. Then the tenth plague. Sorry, this thing's... The tenth plague takes place where all the sons, first sons of the Egyptians are killed. And that sets the tone of Pharisees, just get out of here. Then there's the Exodus. They have the feasts. There's a pillar of fire and cloud. There's the crossing of the Red Sea. There's the manna from heaven. There's the water that falls from the rock. There's Jethro's advice on leadership strategy. Moses, you can't do it all. Appoint 70 other elders. There's strategy. There's the Ten Commandments given. There's the law given to the people of God so they can walk in the ways of God. There's the Ark of the Covenant. There's the Tabernacle of Moses. And there's the priesthood that's set in place so that they can worship and honor and be before God for the people. See, that all that took place. And then we get to that uh, Exodus 33 point where, where Moses asks God to show me your glory. And this, this stuff, what we're gonna, I'm going to speak about now, is the key place that Moses learned, and many others through the Bible will see now, learned to be in this place before the throne of God. Because when he speaks to you, it's not now, okay, you're on a woman, you're going to do it in your own thing and try it. It's in that place where God leads you. So Moses only got the first portion of the mandate. The only first little bit was given to him. He had to walk the rest out in faith with God. Okay, now this is going to happen. Now I want you to say this. And I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, but say this. Do this. Go here. I want you to strike your rod and the sea will open. See all the miracles that took place? See all the miracles that took place? I mean, this is one of the biggest moments of God delivering a people. And setting them free from slaves and bondage into what God is. So we look at those passages. It's Exodus 33. says, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp. This is not the tabernacle of Moses. This is the tent of meeting. This is different. Far from the camp. And called it, to the, tabernacle of, it called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it came to pass... When Moses entered the tabernacle, that a pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked to Moses. Verse 11, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend, and he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. And there was something beautiful that had happened from that time that God, he encountered God at the bush. They said it was a period of maybe a year or two. To the point where you're saying, God, show me your glory. And look at all the things that happened in between. Okay? As he pursued and walked in this place of God's glory and, and all the things that took place, the miracles that took place as he pursued. I just want to, I, and this is, this is a, a theological kind of base and understanding which Dr. Walter Penzorn helped us with. And I know many of you have heard it, but it's good to hear it again. Because this is this place, this is the understanding of what God is calling us as the people to live in this position and place. And we will see all these things play out in our lives as we learn to abide in this place. As we learn to live from this position. And just to give you some, now there's a lot of theological understandings here. And then it says later on there, and he said, Moses, please, Moses asked him, please show me your glory. And God said to him, you cannot see my face, for no man shall live and see my face. And it's always been confusing in a way, saying, he stand face to face, but he said, now I can't see your face. How does that work? 
That's contradictory in a way of almost what's happening here because I want to look and want to see your face. And we have to understand from a, from a, from a theological point of view, there's different understandings. And what I'm, we're balancing here is word and spirit. You see, it's the, the word understanding, the theology of life, but that we walk it out in the spirit as God shows us. The Old Testament was originally written in Greek, I mean, sorry, in Hebrew. And the word panyan actually there is used for every time the word face is used, the word panyan is used. And that's saying that face to face with God, you cannot see my face. So it actually it's quite limited in its understanding of what it's expressing at that point. If you go to the Septuagint, which is the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, okay, it uses different words for that word face. And it says when, when Moses was standing face to face, it uses the word enopian. And when it says you can't see my face, it says prospon. Okay, so it's meaning two different words. We understand that the Greek language is far more expressive. It's far more elaborate even than the English language of what it's trying to explain. If you click on one word in your Bible and you get, the, you get this whole explanation around this one Greek word that means so much to it. And this is, this is the place. And we want to press this home because as a, as a prophetic people, we need to learn, we need to live from this place. And we often just do it in our own strength and to try and do things for God out of our good accord and you know, good and pure hearts and stuff. But it's a place before Him that we get to stand. And I know we've spoken this before. It seems like I might be repeating myself. But the Anopian word is key here. It means that we stand in front of the face of God. It's in sight of God. It's right before the throne of the Almighty God. Okay? So now if we look at how that version says, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, Enopian to Enopian, as if one should speak to his friend and he retired into the camp, Again, we know the story, but the son of Joshua stayed behind. Okay, and then God said, you shall not be able to see my face, prospon, for no man shall see my prospon and live. It's two different things he's speaking about. Okay, so it's opening up an understanding of a place that we've got before the, before the throne of God. So just these pictures will give some clarity. There's the throne of God. Okay, there's the Hebrew word panyam, meaning his face, the Greek word prospon, okay, which speaks about his face. But that word anopian, is a place that means and says, stand before the throne of God. Before the throne of God. Now, just now, picture the story again. Moses sees this burning bush. He goes on a journey with God to right to this point of asking to show me more of your glory. Where was Moses for that whole period? Just doing his own thing? He understood what that place in Opian was. Because... Is if he, if he was going to do anything, he was going to have to hear from God first. To direct, because he only had part of the mandate. Then he had the first three plagues that were going to happen. The rest played out as he pressed in to God. To a point where God actually said that he was a friend of God. Wow. Wow. And that word anopian, just to give you more context and understanding, is because the expression of that word actually breaks down into two different meanings of the word itself, being positional and relational and spatial. Okay, so the positional thing is meaning that you actually, the way you are um, an object of where it is, in front of an object, but the relational and spatial applies, applies to God before the face of God, in sight of God. Moses knew this place. Daniel knew this place. Zechariah knew this place. David knew this place. John saw this place. They lived from this place of before the throne of God. And this double meaning breaks the word down even more as we stand before the throne of Almighty God. Now I'm just going to give you some other examples of who saw this. Okay, Elisha, sorry, Elijah 
And it says in 1 Kings 1.18, the Tishbat of inhabitants of Gilad said to Ahab, As the Lord of God Israel lives before whom I stand, that's in the Hebrew, Panyim, but in the Greek version below it says, Before whom I stand, Enopian. Elijah knew that place. He wasn't going to just go and, you know, here I am the prophet, I'll tell you what needs to happen here. No, God gave him the instruction and said, Now you speak with authority and tell the king, and the king took notice. And that's Ahab. Ahab, some serious trouble there with another friend of his. We all know it starts with a J. And that's caused problems. Hmm. You said it, eh? Okay, Elijah saw it. He literally stood before the face of God and saw it. So where does the glory of God shine from? It shines from His face. What did you call the glory? His view and opinion of us. And stuff, and as it affects us more and more, you start seeing the view and opinion of God through His eyes and not your own eyes of doubt, unbelief, fear. I could never do that. It starts recalibrating your perspective of what God's positioned you as a spirit being here on earth with a fleshly tent to do the things of God. Sir, so, that place before the throne of God, that place of authority, okay, is Enopian. Enopian. Elisha. Same thing. There again, before whom I stand in the Hebrew is Panyam. The Greek of that understanding of the Old Testament, it says the same word. In, in, in whose side I stand? Inopian. This is where he called on the prophet, or they, the prophet called on the musician so that he could prophesy. That's very powerful. There's a link there. The music that sets the tone and allows the prophet to prophesy. Okay? That's Old Testament. Like I said, David saw it. Zechariah has seen it. When Zechariah speaks about the seven spirits of God, he's seen something. David, how did David establish all the throne, the, the setup of the tabernacle of David, and all the order that he set in place? He had seen something. He had been before the throne of God. He saw something in the heavenlies that he was replicating here on earth. Jesus was a representation of the Father. He took what was from there to show this is what the Father's like. See, even the Lord's Prayer. On earth as it is in heaven. That's our role. That's our position we play here. The example in the New Testament. Now the New Testament is written in Greek. So there's understanding here. And this is the angel Gabriel coming to speak to Mary. I am Gabriel who stands before the, before the face in no peon of God. Okay? Standing near before. The different translations that Walter's used here. Okay? So the angel came from that place. Beautiful. The book of Revelation is full of this word. 24 elders bowing down before the face of God in the place that stand before the throne of God. Before the throne of God. Do you know that place? Have you experienced that place? Do you pursue that place? It's like chatting to Paul on yesterday afternoon. It's like we live in a natural world, but we're spiritual beings. It's like there's this coming in and out of stuff. You can't be so spiritual all the time. I'm telling you, you will annoy people. Because people at work will not understand you. Well, the Lord's just told me that I need to send this email to my boss. Right, can you just send the email and get the job done? Don't annoy people with your spirituality. Just be real. Hey, be real. Revelation 4 speaks about this in opium. Revelation 8, the 24 elders fall down before the face of God. The seven spoiled spirits of God. This is what uh, Elijah, uh, sorry, um, um, Ezekiel, I think, had seen. Okay? 
seven soul spirit, sorry, Zechariah 4 speaks of the seven lamps. He's seen some in Mopin before the throne of God. There's a picture of what's actually happening. So you've got the 24 elders, you've got the four living creatures, you've got the Father on his throne. It's, there should be Jesus on the other side there. But it's the 24 elders bowing down. That space there before the throne of God is where we get to access. It's just different pictures that artists have drawn up and kind of picturing what it could look like in that place. There's the throne, the glory shining from his face. You can't, you, you can't see his natural face, his face, but his glory shines from that place and stuff. And then Jesus now, you see in Isaiah 42, where the Lord spoke and it's speaking about the Messiah to come. He says, and I don't share my glory with another. Love the message says that I don't franchise my glory. Okay, it's not like a McDonald's where we just put another one up because we're going to get more of this. If we do this right, we're going to then have more and more and more and more. It's not about that. But Jesus in John 17 said that I share my glory with them. See the, see the place now where Jesus has established something for us that we now has been made a way to be able to access and be before the throne of God. And again, I want to come back. What is your mandate? What is your assignment that God's spoken to you? Have you given up on it? Is it old and you need to burn it and you need to believe God for a new one? Like Anita's, that was amazing for me. That I mean, you've done so much for God and you had so many dreams and you're so far down the line. He's never done with you. He's never like, okay, it's, you're, done, you're done your work here. Paul said, you know, I've done all things I can for God. He'd run his race. But this God's got more for Anita. Don't worry about that stuff. Put it aside. Now we've got some fresh stuff. And you've got to believe in faith now for the more that you don't know what it looks like. He's just giving you a little portion of what the mandate looks like. And in faith, you walk out knowing trusting is a good father that's going to walk you out in the fullness of what it's going to be. Hmm. Enopian is a real place. And it's a promise to us that we get to stand before. I'm going to just keep running through this because there's a lot now of the New Testament promises. Okay? Let's just look at this picture here quickly as well. Is that the question gets asked, okay, is there's two things that are going to happen to you. You're going to get born and you're going to die. There's a lot of funerals I say, there's a one-to-one -one chance that we're all going to be here and someone at our funeral. It's going to happen to all of us. Okay? But what do you do in between? What is that time, the season that God's placed you to do in between here on earth for His purpose and mandate that He's given you to do? It's not that this theology that it's things are going to get so bad and then one day Jesus is going to arrive back and rescue us. The darkness is going to get darker, but the light is going to shine brighter. You are His glorious ones. You are those that He's calling to arise and to stand and, God, and Jesus is going to return to this beautiful bride. It's not a worn down bride afflicted and going, oh man, we're just not going to make it. It's a beautiful bride. He's coming back to His pure, beautiful bride. Remember hearing him years ago, he said, it's, it's not an old, wrinkle-faced, ugly bride. I've never seen an ugly bride. I really haven't. I've not seen an ugly bride. On her day, she looked beautiful. There's something radiant that happens as God responds to what's happening here. It's, it's beautiful. Are we looking beautiful as the church? Are we still fighting and squabbling with one another because we can't get over all our differences? There's an arising of a people that are going to shine and be beautiful in the midst of all the chaos in this world. We've got to believe that. Don't suffer for, oh, one day, oh, then I'm being, oh, I can experience His glory one day. No. You can experience the glory now. Amen. You're going to be partakers of that now. Yes. Today. Not tomorrow. Today. Amen. Now in this moment. And, and the, the word that I felt God actually nudged me about today, was, He just said the word fronting. I was like, fronting? 
what does fronting mean? So I googled, it's nice to know fronting, and you google fronting, and fronting is actually a term used in the insurance world. Yeah, I was like, oh, that caught my attention. And what a father does is that he says, that's my car, and so he gets a reduced price instead of his 21-year-old son who's going to drive it around like a maniac, and he gets a different rate on the insurance because he's an older person. So it's called fronting. I don't actually drive the car, but my son does, but I'm telling you I drive that car. <laughs> or lying. That's, that's, yeah, you're lying. You're fronting. Okay? So according to what God has called you to do, are you, are you fronting your ministry sure. by letting someone else sure. do the work and pay the price, but you just hover in the back and just do on the sideline and hope for the best? Because hmm. it's not going to be through me. It's not going to be through your... Like everyone's hoping their pastor would just create room for me to flourish in my ministry. But your ministry might be to the family that you're cleaning their home. And you are a domestic in the house. You might be the CEO of an international company. And stop fronting and letting someone else do the work. And you just enjoy the little benefits of it. There's far more that God's got in store for you. You have to take ownership. And actually, you sign the insurance contract and you pay the price. And I think that's what God is showing us and building into us of what it is to be walking in what God truly has got for us. Okay, I'm going to run through these quickly because I want to get to the access points that he speaks through here. <sighs> quickly. So we get to live from an opium. But the trouble with this picture here is that the cross, we all get saved and we all understand that Jesus paid a price for us and now we, oh yes, I've stepped in. You see, you don't get saved into the church, you get saved into the kingdom. Okay, and you step in and we all go, whew, it's fine, I made it. There's purpose now. There's assignment. There's plans for you that when you die, you can say, like David, I have done all things in my generation. Fulfill the purposes of God in my generation. I really want to get there. I don't want the white picket fence and the four handicap that I know I play so much golf. It's all good. It's not that. There's a greater purpose here. But you see, what the church has done is we've short-circuited everything. And as I said earlier, around this cross of the Savior and Jesus and the fivefold ministry that we built the church on the teacher, the pastor, and the evangelist. And it short circuits actually what the apostles and the prophets do about causing. That's what I was trying to say last night, is that we lift it higher. We press higher. We don't try and fight to God. Okay? We, f we live from this place of His glory. Yes. And if we short circuit it, all, we all the church becomes is happy, comfortable. Oh, he's such a lovely pastor. Oh, he's so good. He never challenges me. But man, the preaching here, whew, it's good. And then you know what also happens is you leave the evangelism to the evangelist. And he does all that saving work. But actually, you should be, be evangelical in all that you do in being a witness for Christ. So it short circuits all this little thing. And the apostles and the prophets help us reach higher. Help us to open up to realize that when you go to work on a Monday morning, you live from that place of glory. You're going to pray on those people's chairs and say, look here, look, look, I'll just pray over this person. As they sit in this chair today, they feel something different over their lives. I had so many different moments when I walked in the corporate world. I mean, the story of years later, how this girl wanted to sort me out and email me and say, I've got saved. She wanted to tell me that she got saved. I didn't witness to her and pull my Bible out and speak to her. My life was an example to her. She knew who I was. She knew what I was about. And she wanted to tell me about it. Because her life had been transformed and changed. Amazing. It was years later. Are you fronting? Allowing someone else to pay the price to do the stuff? 
You're just coasting in the background, hoping, or you're going to stand up for what God's called you to do. You see, these verses, let's just go through them quickly. It says, He chose us in Him, okay, in Christ, before the foundations, without blame. This is what Paul's saying now. Paul takes it to another level with this word that's in that third line there. It says, catanopian. Okay, so he's enhanced that whole position of Enopian, that in the old covenant, he's, the experience, even angel Gabriel came from that place of Enopian before the throne of God, from the presence of God. He says before he's face Catanopian, he's actually, he's upping the ante. He's saying fully established before the throne of God. You see, now we've, we've been given that position because of Christ. Christ has given us this place. Now we can live from this place. Christ has opened the way for us. The next verse speaks about in Colossians, um, in his body, flesh, through the death, okay, to present yourself holy and blameless and irreproachable before his face, catanopian, fully established before the throne of God. There's no excuse you've got with not pressing into the things of God. What holds us back? Fear, guilt, and shame. Unbelief, doubt. These are the things we have to overcome because we have an overcomer. And we hold back because of my own world and the doubts that I have and thinking, God, could he ever use me? Would he ever do this stuff through me? And a price was paid for us to enter. And uh, next part, he speaks about how do we get there? And I want to touch on these three access points because I think they're key to understand. Romans 5, 2 says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. See, we've been justified by grace. We have access by faith in this hope, in this hope that we have in our eternal God that's then through His Son Jesus has saved us. You see, this, this first access point is by faith. It's by faith that we believe. When you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth by faith, And I love, you know, our hope we have in the cross. And I love this verse in Corinthians 1.18. that says, for the, word of God, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross makes no sense to people in the world who look at it from a judgmental eye. What? It means nothing. It's foolishness to them. Absolute foolishness. But to us, it opened up a way. It made a way for us. By faith... <coughs> to access this place and the hope that we have in His glory to be in that point. The, the second one is in Christ. That according to the eternal purposes which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith. So it's again, access through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, we are seated with Him in heavenly places. The baptism of Jesus was crucial at this time because at this point, the heavens were like brass, it says. In Deuteronomy, bronze, sorry. In Deuteronomy, they, there was silence of the bull. I love, I love that story of in John when Zechariah is just doing his duty. And he goes into the temple. I don't think he was expecting this to happen. I don't think there was expectation. I think if we go into a church that's been running for 400 years, they wouldn't have the same pastor. They would be weird if they did. <laughs> and so, that would be strange. But 400 years, you see in the old tradition, just duty, duty duty, doing his duty. There was something beautiful in that of their faithfulness of just doing what God had ordered the people to do. But on the day, heaven had decided we're going to break onto earth again. 
and this angel who would have come from before the throne of God with an assignment to say, right, Zechariah, I'm calling on you and you're going to have a son. His name's going to be John. And what did he do? He also doubted. And he was mute for a good nine, ten months there. I love that. And then you can imagine the people standing outside. You've got to be very practical about the Bible. You've got to picture the moment. You've got to look at these things like, oh, like, where is this guy? Like, why is he in there for so long? What's happening? Where is he? You know, he's dead. Has the glory got him? But what is the glory? We haven't seen that for 400 years. We only have stories of that stuff. Really? Could it be? Nah, can't be. Can't be. That stuff doesn't happen today. Oh, we've heard that before, eh? That stuff doesn't happen today. It'll never happen now. God broke in. God broke in and he started setting his plan in place. And then this wild son, John the Baptist, started roaming around. When you think about it, who would go to the Karoo in the middle of nowhere to be rebuked? I wouldn't travel to the Karoo to be rebuked. <laughs> only, only Paul goes there. <laughs> but you're not rebuking people there. It's good, it's good news now. But they all came out to the desert for John to tell them this, this news. God started his plan. And then his son, John said, I'm not worthy. He said, Jesus, let's follow what God has said in place. Yeah, hey? Wow. And I've been preaching on that, that Jesus only did what he saw the Father do. Not what he heard the Father tell him to do. What he saw the Father doing. And I, I'll keep asking the question, are we seeing what the Father's seeing us wanting to see? What's mandate? What's the assignment? Are you fronting? Just, no, no, you guys, you go for it. I'll just do in the back here. And at that moment of baptism, it's a crucial moment. There's so many things that happen at that point. There's the affirmation from the Father, where for 30 years, he just walked around and watched and seen. Show the Father showing him, understanding his assignment, reading Isaiah 61. What is it? Maybe as a 10-year-old going, hey, that's me. <laughs> that's me. Hmm, okay. 12-year-old sitting, talking to the guys in the temple marvel at how he knew the scriptures. I don't, you've got to get the reality of it. He had to walk like a man like us. But he knew at that day, the baptism, the heavens tore open. Silence for 400 years opened. The access that Jesus has given us and the voice of affirmation from the Father. We do so much men's work, journeying with our men. And what's the, the, the wounding on a man's heart is that, is that only his own father can actually undo the and lock the wound by the words that he can speak. There's something more powerful of your own father that makes the wound deep and actually allows the wound to be healed. But we have the father in heaven that can heal us from these wounds and walk. Some people haven't even known their father. You see, they haven't, the lack of the voice also puts a deep wound in. Jesus had to be affirmed by his father. I, I, I love that moment. This is my son. I am well pleased in him. <laughs> And the heavens tore open, Isaiah 61, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Rend them, break them open. And Jesus tore this open for us. The heavens were torn open. See, there was that seal, there was a block. It's been broken open for us. That we now have access to this place of His glory. We get to live in this place. So when people tell you the heavens are closed, they're still reading the Old Testament. They don't understand today when we say there's an open heaven. I think there are pockets where God's, where altars are established and people in the spirit, the heavens recognize, ha, you know, one of my best verses, it's, well, best and you don't know where it is. It's either Leviticus 10 or Numbers 10, but I think it's Leviticus, where Aaron's son put unrecognized incense on the altar. 
unrecognized. God didn't ask them to do it and they were smited. There are hundreds and thousands of CDs that have been produced around the world that God goes of worship music that He goes, I don't recognize that. Because that's your agenda. That's what you wanted, not what I asked you to do. Hey? Hmm. That the baptism of Jesus, the heavens torn open, there's an open heaven over your life. And there's places heaven just wants to invade and walk in and through people. And the order that God has given us in the new covenant is the structure and the order of church. With an oversight of an eldership, a government set in place, the fivefold ministries and the gifting to help people mature and do the works of service for Christ and for His body. And there's an order that's been set in place. And like Nita was saying, you see, she was challenged by her doing an island ministry. And actually bringing it back into the church. And look what's happened 35 years later. Because submission to authority that God set in place. And God flourished you in obedience. And the vehicle is the people of God. Through the order that God's given through a church. It's, it's in the Bible. You can't argue it. Okay. 1 John, he says there about you shall see heaven open. Jesus is saying this to Philip and Nathaniel. About the angel of God ascending and descending on the throne. And this mystery that was a mystery has now been revealed to us. For it will be known to us all wisdom and insight, the mystery of His will according to the purpose which Christ, which He set forth in Christ. And as a plan for the fullness to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. See, the mystery that Paul often speaks about has been revealed to us. That Christ came and opened up for us a way that we can now access the Father. His death and His resurrection has paid a price for us. And there's the whole thing into that word mystery. It's only used once in the Gospels. Okay, I'm not going to halve on this a bit. I can send you these notes if you want to kind of look at it and study it yourself. But it's only used once and speaks about the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. There's the verse in Matthew 13, verse 10 says, The disciples came and said to Him, Why do you speak in parables? And He answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets, that's the mysteries, He says, of the kingdom of heaven. So when you sit and you press into that place of His glory, of Anopian, He will give you the secrets of the kingdom. If I'm honest, like for me, the unraveling and the, the understanding and the revelation of the kingdom of God has taken years to develop in my heart. Because it's not just as simple, yeah, I know that's a kingdom thing, but what does it look like? Like how do I operate in my daily life for that kingdom and not for the kingdom of His world? So it affects your finances, affects your relationships, affects your spiritual life, affects your, 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 your commitment to stuff that's either just keeping you busy or the stuff that's going to cause you to grow and to be mature and do the things for Christ called you to do on here on earth. It's, it's so we had a moment like with the, uh, one of the teachers at our school and it's, it's a, such a minute little example, but I thought this is, this is partly what it can look like. Is the, the teachers have a meet the, meet the, te- meet the parents kind of evening and so you go there, sit for 10 minutes, and the teacher tells you how amazing your child is for 10 minutes. That's incredible, and blah, blah, blah. It's all awesome. We clearly never leave with tears, so it's a good thing. And, uh, but they're all busy there. So the one son of the one teacher, my son's friends with her, and, uh, she, and Aiden was going to have him come over to our house afterwards. Now, she was under pressure because she's there until 8 o'clock tonight. Uh, her husband's also a teacher at another school. Nathan, you know him. And he's at Saks. And so they're under pressure, and we said to her, you know what, just let your little guy hang with us, and you come pick him up when you're ready. The relief on her face was, really? Like, there's something in the people that we are that we're just very generous. He's a cute little kid. Our kids play well together, so maybe he wouldn't do it to a naughty kid, eh? But then that's not, you know, 
We would never do that to an order kid. But the relief on her face we offered her something of what our kingdom does. Of like this generosity of our time. And it's come, let him have supper. And he came and picked him up at like half a six, quarter to seven that night. And it just helped them. And I know they're not saved. But it's just little seeds that get planted. And slowly but surely, you just place things of kingdom value, kingdom principle, kingdom understanding. It's a different level. You see? And this mystery now has been revealed to us. The third access point. So first is by faith. Second is in Christ. Third thing is by one spirit. Through him, we have access in one spirit. And this word access, you see, is only used three times in the New Testament. It's three times referring to this place that we now, that the Son has given to us and to be able to gain access to the throne of God. And this, as he says, fundamental observation, all spiritual authority here on earth is derived from the throne of God. His glory shines from his face. All dominion, all power, all authority is from this place. So the, as a leader of people, I want to say to you that it's great to get prophetic words. It's great to be encouraged by the mouthpiece that God uses here in prophets. But there's nothing that will replace you hearing it from God directly. There's more affirmation in that. You see, we come and hope we get a word. We've got to get beyond those days, folks. Just to affirm, like, well, why aren't you in an opium pressing into Jesus and to the Father on His throne saying, speak to me, show me, tell me what I need to do, the things I need to hear, the secrets of your kingdom in this place of your glory, and He reveals them to you. See, there's so much about how we approach the throne of God. See, when you've got bitterness, you've got unforgiveness, and you've got sin in your heart, how do you think you can stand before the throne of God? And for Him to pour out to you and to give you these things when He could see right through you. And it's not judging. See, it's not, it's not, condem- it's not, um, it's not uh, condemnation. Sorry, it's conviction. Thank you very much. That was the word I was looking for. The enemy condemns you. Okay? That's a very big difference. The enemy condemns you. He brings shame and guilt and the fear in your heart. You say, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. We've got to start recognizing this and the maturity of Christ saying, I can see your lies. Keep it. Seriously. That's a lie over my life and I don't embrace it. Father, I come and I pray through the Lord's Prayer. I pray the Lord's Prayer just covers everything. And it's plural. So I pray our, our God, our God. It's not about me all the time. It's like there's a people that are arising. There's a community that you've given me. Lord, as we arise and we come together to arise, forgive those, forgive me as I forgive those who trespass against me. So you can only come to God with a pure heart. You can only come to Him with clean hands. He's not going to pour out those things to you in this place that Jesus has paid a price for us before we unclutter all the lies, all the fear, the unbelief, the doubts in our own hearts and come up to this place and this fronting. And I think, you see, we don't get to enter on our terms. Immaturity says, I can come on my terms. Maturity draws an awe and a wonder in your heart of God Almighty, that I get to stand before His throne. And it's not from an orphan spirit. Oh, wow. You wouldn't know. That's not, I, uh, no. A son. A son of the kingdom. To get to stand before Him. Like the, we know the analogy. Like it's so simple. When I go to my parents or my dad's house now, I can go to the fringe and help myself. Because I'm a son in his house. It's, it's, there's access that we have. 
humility and bowing down. I love that point in Moses when they shared what God had visited Moses and stuff. And they didn't try and convince them because they said, God has visited Israel. And it said, I can just imagine all the affliction. And it said, and they bowed their heads in worship. There was just this reverence, God. This, this honor of bowing down saying, God, you're going to do it for us. We trust you. We, our hope is in you. You know, bowing down. Remember, he's listening to, what's his name? in the States, the whole reason you've got to bow is that you've got to get your head below your heart. Your heart's got to, your heart's got to lead the process. Your heart's got to be open. It's not, a, it's not a cerebral understanding. Repenting is changing the way you think. Living from this depth of our spirit being and spirit man is the place that allows us to access and to be in glory and to with confidence before the throne of God. He's saying you've got to deal with the sin. You've got to deal with the disappointment. You've got to deal with the doubt, the unbelief, the stronghold, the roots of thinking. Because the, long, the longer you linger and you press into that face that His glory shines within, the more you'll see. And the more you see, the more you love Him. And the more you love Him, the more you see. And slowly the moment, and that's Corinthians, where you get transformed from glory to glory. As we, I think it was on Sunday, we sang songs, as uh, Nathan said, he phoned Noah, and Noah said, it's okay, we can sing songs out of the ark. But we sang them from, from way back. And often when I sing a song, I have this moment of like, I mean, I've led that song many times. But there's always this question in my heart of like, where was I spiritually when I was singing that last time? Like 15 years ago. And there's a sense of, sure, God's worked in my heart. Wow. Not that song's irrelevant now, but man, it just feels richer. It feels deeper. Wow. There's a, there's a depth to what God's done in my heart. It's from glory to glory. And we grow in the things, we mature in the things of God. You see, because if you live from this place, and I'll finish off this and we're going to just hover a little bit but we're going to finish at one okay we'll give it 15 20 minutes when you live from this place you will then stop reaping the rewards of what it is to be a, a son or a daughter in the kingdom of god you will reap these rewards they will come to you there will be blessing there will be favor that flows to you because we've got to remember the three things that jesus has paid a price for no longer hold us back death sickness and sin Okay, those are the three things we allow to hinder us going to before the throne of God. So instead of feeling dead, people leave for work on a Monday morning, they feel dead. They're dead. But we are alive in Christ. See, there's life. He came to give us life and life in abundance. Not a trickle. He has a little bit of life for you. Hope it lasts till Wednesday. Hang in for Sunday, you'll get there. Life abundantly. Like when the, when the Bible says abundantly, it's a flood. It's a real big flow. Okay? Yeah. Okay? You're no longer a slave to sin. You're a slave to righteousness. Check the difference. Wow, yes. Does your flesh try and pull you down? You've got it. Yes, of course it does. But I'm a slave to righteousness. And by the grace of God, I pursue all that He's got for me because His mercy has been poured out to me. His grace is abounding to me. Unmerited favor is my portion. And instead of being ill, you live in the conquering power of His body that was beaten for you. And by His stripes, you are healed. I'm telling you, you live in this place, you press in this place, and you honor the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I've heard now over the last few months, I've heard countless stories of people saying, I did communion, 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 over and over, every day, every day, every day, and now I've been healed. Yeah. Yeah. It's an honor to a price that was paid and surrendering your life to say, God, because of the price you paid for me, Jesus, I want to live in this place. 
and healing comes. You see, sickness, death, and sin has been dealt with. So we can have divine health. We can be alive in Christ. And all the things that are going on around us and the worries and the media and all their lies and all the stuff that's carrying on, we see right through it because we are spiritual people discerning the times, seeing between good and evil. The mature can understand that. And it's life in the Spirit as, as He's conquered death and given us life. And the sin that we've been enslaved to, now we are slaves to righteousness. You see, this is Word and Spirit. This beautiful balance. And we were away, away on holiday and the guy preached. He said, it's not Word and Spirit, it's the Word. I was like, wow, I don't know about that, buddy. There's something you're missing a whole portion here. We didn't go back. We didn't go back, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. See, this is theology lived by the life of the Spirit. See, that's just a practical theology of a place that God, it's, it's hidden, the mysteries have been opened up to us more and more about this place that God's given to us. It's in the Bible. That's the theology. You, then you build your doctrine on these understandings and you walk in the life of the Spirit. So what I was going to do, I was going to take the last 15 minutes before we break for lunch. And just maybe, Joe, just to, I don't want a full band, just to, just to place and create an atmosphere for us. You can walk around, you can sit down. I want you to go before God and say, and ask those questions of, okay, what's in my scroll? Am I walking according to what you've called me to do? Okay, he might have spoken to you 10 years ago. He might have spoken to you, there's, these are these words. You need to have mature discernment to understand, you know what, I'm prepared to lay that down now and leave it. And any guys will feel stuff now, we can just minister to people. But I want, I want us to be able to press into this place that has been given to us by the Son Jesus to access in faith by the Spirit, by the blood that is poured out to us, we now get to stand before the throne of God. I actually often, I picture myself standing before the throne and saying, God, here I am. I know you've allowed me, you've given me this place. And, and, and I, I know you are for me in every single way as a son. And often I bring such to him. I say, Lord, I submit this to you. Lord, we believe in you for this. It's not to ask of him, but it's just in this journey and this thing that we walk with God. And the accuser tries, but the son says, I'm your advocate. I've paid the price for you. Okay, let's just close our eyes. Let's just wait in this moment. See, the thing is, prophetic people, we've got to be assured. We've got to live from this place of confidence that God has spoken to us. It might be many years ago. Are you walking according to what He's called you to do? Just press into Him. Just press into Him. Just take this moment. Jesus. Jesus, our hearts cry is that we want to live in obedience to what you has been written about us. To walk in the fullness, to walk in the life, all that you've got in store for us. Sometimes we at this point we've got to repent of our own ways. We're going to lay down our own agendas. And just in this moment, just to find that clarity, that confirmation from Almighty God, the affirmation of His voice, and I will speak to you. Jesus. No more fronting. Stop hiding behind what God has called you to be. 
and hiding behind other people and say, no, 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 it's fine, that's covered. No, no, you're going to step up and pay the price. Step out from the shadows. In faith and in trust that he's got a call for you to do great things on this earth, greater works. Jesus. If guys are feeling specific words and stuff for people, but I want us to press in. You hear the voice of the Father confirming over your life. My son, my daughter. What has impressed me that there are people here who have had a devastating experience with spiritual leaders in confrontation or blocking you with words that have had an effect on your faith, an effect on your self-worth, an effect on your desire to pursue the call of God. And in a way, you found another uh, detour road where instead of pursuing what Paul says, uh, be renewed, um, be transformed by the renewing, renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good yeah. a, a will of God Jesus. and that acceptable will of God and the perfect will of God. And so you've taken a detour that has been acceptable to God, but you've not found the way to get back into the perfect will of God. Are there people like that here? Just lift your hand and let me see if I'm talking to the right people. Okay. I'd, I'd like you to stand and I'd like you to just open your heart because the Holy Spirit wants to set you free. Amen. Okay. Mm. Wants to set you free. And He wants to give you an amazing ability by the experience of the cross working in your own heart and your own emotions. We who are called the prophetic to the prophetic ministry that the Lord wants to use as leaders and as those that will influence the direction of the called out ones, yeah. the ecclesia, the ones that the Lord loves. And I use that word ecclesia different to our own uh, image or paradigm of church, okay? But we who are going to be used by the Lord in this new season to influence the growth and the development of the saints that he wants to be in the bride, we will have to step into the place where Paul says, I embrace the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ where it has not been made complete in my life. Uh, the New King James Version says, and I fill up in my own flesh that which is lacking of the sufferings of Christ. And he's not saying that the cross is incomplete or the sufferings of Christ. He's saying that his own experience had to be topped up. And this is what I want you to see, is when Jesus suffered pain on the cross, he did what the Father's heart does. The 
Because the father saw that pain in eternity past. He saw what man would do. And he saw the only answer was to send his son to the cross. And he saw what the people would do to his cross. And Jesus responded with the love of the Father. And you know how the love of the Father responds to people that caused him pain? He responds with mercy and forgiveness. So Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And I want you to take a moment to release that in forgiveness but I want you to see something every time that the enemy reminds you of the pains of the past and you see circumstances arising where you feel that resentment against people like that and the enemy tries to keep you trapped in that position of pain and unforgiveness I want you to do what Paul taught us in Romans 6 reckon yourself dead to that old sin of unforgiveness and respond with mercy and forgiveness I want you to learn how to embrace the cross in reality in those times of emotional reaction to people that caused you pain and new people that caused you pain this is a growth of a son to become a father. This is the growth. And I use the word son because uh, I'll talk about it after lunch. The Lord calls us all sons because he says there's no male or female in Christ. And the reason he uses the word son is because of the authority that he has given to his own son that is joined to him in the holy family of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you know what? The Holy Trinity has opened their own hearts to welcome you into that circle of covenant fellowship to be like them. And this is part of the pathway. So right now, I'm going to pray for you. I'm asking you to release. I want you to remember those IOUs of the pain in the past. And I want you to take those IOUs like you take it a piece of paper in your hand where the IOU was written up, written down. And you crumple it up and you throw it away and say, I'm going to let it go. Can you do that? And then make a decision to say, Lord, I'm going to embrace the work of the cross in my own flesh I'm going to work embrace the work of the cross and every time I feel that pain I'm going to say Lord let the work of the cross be made complete in me I reckon myself dead to the sin of reaction and unforgiveness and retaliation okay because the people that cause pain need forgiveness themselves to be released and you are going to be part of that amen Father, in the name of Jesus right now, I pray that you'll bring the power of your covenant love. The love that we don't have the capacity to give, but the Holy Spirit pours that divine agape love into us. Hallelujah.
bring that capacity into these dear ones. That as they experience this moment of commitment to release people in in forgiveness and to decide to reckon themselves dead to this sin and to forgive the people that cause them pain, as they decide to embrace the cross so that they, like Paul, can say, I carry the sentence of death in my own flesh, that the power of the Christ may rest upon me. That's the way forward. I ask you for that in them, Lord. In Jesus' name, work those words the words of revelation truth of things the way that they work in the spirit because they worked in the heart of life of Jesus I'm asking you to work these things into my brothers and sisters that they might be conformed to the image of Christ in this thing thank you Jesus thank you Jesus Just tell this moment, I, I, as a pastor, I want to pray over these people's hearts because I think sometimes people hold that position of the pastor and that position hurt me. And they put every pastor in the same bracket of what that pain that was caused. And then the authority that's on me and that I want to pray over your hearts that we break and nullify the power of those words that was spoken over you, that you never would think you would believe again. You'd never feel the, the life and the flourishment of living in the fullness of Christ because you feel condemned by the power of man's words that have held you back. And they become a stronghold in your thinking. They become a, 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 a burden to you and you feel sh- shackled by them. And this, this home, this house, is a place of restoration of broken hearts. I've seen umpteen, umpteen people come into this place from words that have been spoken over them from the past. And Lord, we speak freedom. We break the power of those words and we speak freedom over those hearts. And now for you, as you press into that place of Anopian, as you press into the place of his glory before the throne of Almighty God, you're going to hear clarity. You're going to hear clearly now the mandate, the assignment that he's given you as you stop fronting, as you stand on your own accord and say, here I am. Lord, the price that you've paid for me, I'm here signing up for duty. For the kingdom of God, of the service of his king, the majesty, majesty, the king. And no longer will those words hold you back. No longer will the expectation of man, that's something I had to really get over. Man's expectation of you will lead you down a path that will not flourish. Don't live according to what man desires of you. Live according to what God desires of you to do. Hearing his voice, his affirmation of the father over your heart. Man will always disappoint. God will never disappoint you. Never disappoint you. So Lord, we thank you that you are doing a work in our hearts because you are looking for a pure bride that is going to arise. A pure bride as we overcome these things because you are the great overcomer. You did it all for us. I want to thank you, Lord, that these deep works you're doing in our hearts are causing a people to arise with power in a hope that you've got greater things in store for us to do for you and your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus.